I, uh, you know, I chased it all. Women, drugs, alcohol, you know, religion, Shinto, Hindu, Confucianism, Taoism, Taoism, you know, all those isms. Hey guys, welcome to Anchored and Devoted. I am Pastor Jer, and this is... And I am Pastor Joseph! And this is Anchored and Devoted. And we are glad that you're here with us. You know it's Anchored and Devoted. You saw the podcast. You chose to hit play. It's not our fault. Whatever it happens surprise, from here, Surprise! Surprise! Mm-hmm. Surprise! Like, bum, bum, bum. we have a guest. Yes, we do. Um, you can't see we him, do? but we can. He's turning red, um, which is a beautiful thing. Um, I'm not sure why, <laughs> but um, <laughs> he's a pastor. We've been doing Pastor Friday. I don't know. Should we call it Clergy Friday or Pastor Friday or Friar Friday? Um, fr- uh, no. no, 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 we shouldn't. <laughs> <laughs> no, um, we'll have to figure out something. But anyway, we are so it's happy. Friar to- Day. <laughs> you heard his voice. There we go. My brother in Christ, Pastor Alan Latham. Um, I love him. He does not have his daughter with him, who I'm a super fan of. And I'm disappointed she's not here today, but we will He's pass school, that. Boy. I know. And I'm so disappointed. I will tell you, Jer, Alan is a storyteller. So Good. this time we'll blow by. <laughs> Good. Good. Just like you're a storyteller. And that's, again, very similar. Both of you are very, like... I hadn't thought about it until I saw both. I was like, both of these people love stories. Like they like telling them and listening to good stories. And so this should be blue. fun. Are um, you wearing blue as well, Dave? No, I'm wearing gray. Okay. No, I'm wearing gray. That's how good my eyes are. Yeah, you're wearing gray. You know that? Yeah, you're wearing gray. You're not wearing blue. Only <laughs> <laughs> so difference between the two of you is. Jeremy is legally blind in one eye and blind in the other. Oh my goodness. Exactly. I just want to make it clear. Like, to say you're legally blind doesn't do you justice. It's like, no, 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 no. <laughs> That's just one eye is legally blind. The other one is not. Um, yeah. Uh, okay. Are there any <clears throat> questions that you want us to uh, not ask? Correct. No, and we seem to wander into them, but anything we shouldn't, and we won't, it's just so we know. No, um, I'm not worried. <laughs> All right, cool. My son John was saying that uh, these guys, he said, yeah, you know, they might get you into a theological issue. No. <laughs> That's our but goal. If they do, we'll, we'll try to answer. Because he was, he was trying to figure out the purpose of it. They're going to start with the uh, filial clause and <laughs> maybe go to the hypostatic union after that. <laughs> Tell him sure. to listen to our I episodes. I want the perfect analogy of the Trinity, please. Tell your son to listen to our episodes. Well, I want to know. Considering what... that on this side of eternity, there is no actual good representation of the Trinity. We have to look to the unique oh, and glorious relationship between the Father. Son and the Holy Spirit. Oh, boo. This is why we would never ask that, because everyone just deleted the podcast from their phone. <laughs> I can well, hear the clicks. Everybody I wants can to hear it. You know, my favorite is the oh, water. And it's getting worse. We went from three listeners to zero. All those things are uh, <laughs> inadequate to explain the truth and its uniqueness. I read a great book recently that honestly posited that God created man because he needed relationship. I heard a pastor say it the other day, and I meant to write down who it was because I couldn't believe it. 
Yeah, because somebody like us should write them and tell them yeah, that's like, not it. I could. It was on TV. Like I couldn't believe it. It was. I don't know if it was one of the Benny Hens or you know, give me some money or, or whatever. Oh, and then oh, oh, you know what it is. Um, okay, so I actually had this conversation with a an attender at Grace because they were they were singing one of the um, is it Hillsong? Um, well, anyway, it was a song they were singing, and they were singing about how God made man for relationship. And I was like, that's not true. I was like, we need relationship. I was like, but he didn't make us for that solely. I was like, there's a whole lot of stuff he did, but understand he was in relationship already. Like he's already like he's already there was in no it. flaws <laughs> in that relationship whatsoever. Correct. There's no lack in God. There's no lack. So don't assume, don't say there's a need. He has no need. He's he's full. He's good. He's literally he's good. And they just looked at me like, but he needs me. I was like, no, he needs no one. Like <laughs> your spouse like, doesn't need was, you. What are you talking like, are about? Are you kidding me? What what about That's a narcissistic you? approach to uh, Christianity? <laughs> Help me understand. What about you? Would he need your toenails? What? What would he need? <laughs> what do you need? Your your wax? Like yeah, what, what do what do you what do you produce that God needs? I guarantee you probably 70% of everyone that comes to either one of your congregations are actually believing in, I have needs that the Lord needs to fulfill, right? And if I don't get them fulfilled, of course, you know, we act the way we do when we don't get any, you know, how it is when you're two years old and you don't get the cookie and then you're all like, well, mom, I, I deserve the cookie. Well, your purpose is not. No, it's to glorify um, God and to enjoy Him forever. Correct. Your purpose is, is is not to feel a need for Him. It is out of who He is that He created, like He is Creator. I got, I got the horns look when I said that one day in service. <laughs> I said, you know, God doesn't need you to do this ministry or anything, like literally. Anything. I was just specifically contexting doing the gospel. I said God mm-hmm. can easily go to someone else, and I gave him the story about um, one of our seminary professors told to us in class about his wife being a concert pianist. She could have been, you know, at Carnegie and the Metropolitan and all that. She was that good. And they went to play somewhere, and he drove with her, and they stopped at a convenience store to get something to drink and a snack. And the Lord just impressed upon him that the girl at the counter needs Christ. And he didn't want to do it. He went through the line, got his stuff, paid his check, uh, and then went out the door, and as he was coming in the door, this biker dude had just come in off his Harley, wearing his colors, walked up to the girl at the counter and said, let me tell you about the story of a man I know who will change your life. His name is Jesus Christ. You don't need us. <laughs> not for fulfillment, not for anything. Just, you just oh. Once you get that understanding, it, 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 it's, it opens up your whole life to realize that, hey, I am a servant, that's all I am, and God is God, and I am not. He is holy, and I am not holy. And I well, need I think him. it frees you. I think it yes, frees you to correct. live a better life because, because you are able now to just say, I really need to trust and obey very much as a child. I don't need to, yes, I need to learn of him, but I'll need to learn everything. Like, I don't need to know it all. I just need to actually be with him because 
he doesn't i'm not in the center of the relationship where i have to worry about messing something up and he's gonna he's a superstar buddy <laughs> no he's the superstar he is should, the center we should be the means... stardust leading to correct so so it's one of those things where it's a lot easier to be able to say no really i'm forgiven <laughs> it's him he, he's he's the one who's done this oh no no really he's the one who's providing for my food i know i look smart but he's the one who actually gave me the wisdom to challenge you and actually share my faith with you. He loved me first. Like it really is a him thing, not a me thing. And Correct. because he is complete and has all power and actually is love in a healthy way, not in a selfish way, but in a blessing and beautiful, correcting, chastising, just holy way, then I can be okay in knowing that I don't have to be perfect. I just need to be vulnerable with him. I need to be real with him. I need to relate to him because that's what I'm wired for. That hole in my heart is for relationship with him. I need him. Right. He doesn't need me. That's yeah. what I tell people all the time about the word of God. The word of God says that you can't meet the standard that God has. And so because of that, it's pushing you to find where you can be right with God. And it's pointing, you know, of course, Paul writes about it always. It points us back to Christ. We must have Christ. If we don't have Christ, we have nothing. And we just talked about that on Sunday about being billboards to Christ. You know, the billboard doesn't look fancy. You know, it's steel. It's got the, the girders around it. It's got the, the walkway in the front. You know, the message on the front is what is most important. Right? That's what you're giving glory to is the you know, you, I've seen marquees where the marquee is more than looks more than the mess, right? You got the column, looks better like, than the hotel. Oh, yeah, I know. And then you're like, you know, what? Oh, you have a nice day or something on that. I'm like, that's all you're going to put on them is have a nice day. Spend all that money on putting it together. You might as well put something else. A billboard is such a great illustration because, you know, if, if your billboard is for a hotel, for instance, and I'm driving down the street and I see it and that billboard looks fantastic. If I go to that billboard in order to get a room, I'm going to find myself very, very cold and wet the next morning. <laughs> it's, it's, the billboard is only there, not even uh, the message is what's the most important thing for that billboard. But that billboard is not the message itself. It's pointing to something else completely right. separate, completely different. That's that's fantastic. One of the things that we um, I just realized that yeah. I'm sure you guys already know that. But, I mean, and there's also others to add to it. But in basic building block of life is there are three things that human beings can't deal with or have trouble dealing with. One, it was, there's another one, which is the fourth one, which is contentment, but I'll get to that in a moment. It's trust, it's weakness, and it's um, humility. Mm. Even as believers, those three things cause all the majority of all the problems that we deal with. And the fourth one, of course, is being content in the trust, in the weakness, and in the, um, uh, sorry, I lost it, in the weakness, the trust, and the forgiveness. Humility. Yeah, and humility. So, you know, you counsel that all the time, Dave. I'm sure you do, mm -hmm. Jeremy. Get that. And that's, that's really where I was just happened to be in a session uh, last Monday, and I was like, wait a minute. There it is. Hitting me upside the face is the Holy Spirit like to do something about it. Just saying, hey, and then the other one's being content 
in all of those three. Being able to be content that I'm weak, being able to be content that I need to be humble, and need, need to be content with the fact that I need to be forgiven and offered, and that, you know, weakness. And I yeah. just tell people that, but, you know, I tell people all the time, you know, when they talk about forgiving one another, one lady told me, well, she'll have all the power. I said, so? She'll think that she's one. No. I said, you leave that stuff up to the Lord. He'll take care of that. You need to be faithful in what the Word is asking you to do in Matthew 18, 15 through 20. Make the effort. Those who know, as one pastor, Jeff Elif, told me, he said, Alan, those who know, they need to go and make it right. If you know that it's not good, the relationship's not good, you need to make it right. And usually, it's supposed to be the one who is offended, not the offender. Because Christ, that's what Christ and God does for us, right? The, the one who is offended comes to us to make it right through Jesus Christ. Amen. So, Amen. My name is okay, Alan we got the theological stuff done early. Uh, my so name is Alan say, We can talk uh, about God all day long, but we're here to talk about <laughs> you. <laughs> we got the theology stuff done. Um, which I was born really... on a warm summer's eve on a train bound for nowhere. <laughs> really we're going that back in time how about you skip to the future a little bit and tell us how you actually tell us where you lead the church like where are you a pastor how you got there okay so i'm the a senior pastor or the pastor at uh, first baptist church in i have been here for uh, just a little over of 10 and a half years so I came here in 2013, and that was my 10th year. I've been here in January of 2013. So my 10th year anniversary came and went, and I was like, yes, it's the way ministry is. Take your um, blue pad and take your little lunch pad with your thermos in it, sandwiches that are wrapped in nice little old school sandwich bags, and click it over and lock it in place and go to work because it's a white-collar position with a blue-collar um, attitude. <laughs> I uh, worked for the University of Maryland for 25 years prior to that, and then also at uh, Southern Seminary as a security officer for the police department. And um, most of my adult life in any job that I have had been on a college campus. Except for this. So I've been a long time with you. So Is your I've background in, uh, in law enforcement? I was a security officer here before I left to go to seminary. I was uh, worked for um, uh, Shepherd Pratt at Ellicott City and before that, Taylor Manor Hospital. Okay. And then um, I took the same job at, uh, in, in Louisville at the seminary. I worked for the police department as a security officer, and then I also worked for the facilities management um, okay. uh, uh, department as well. So how did you hear about First Baptist? Like. Did they come and recruit you out of seminary or? Actually, I got it from folks here. And um, they uh, they were a sheep without a shepherd. And so I figured I'd be the one that could do that. And the Lord, that's where we would go. And <clears throat> I wasn't their first choice, but uh, God made that happen so that I was their second or the choice. And uh, they were interviewing me in 2012, 
while I was still working at the university, I came back from Louisville in 2011. I got a job at the University of Maryland again, working for the HVAC uh, department. And then uh, while I was working there, I was sending out residents. And then um, they uh, were, were talking to me, interviewed me twice, and then the third time. And then uh, I think in October, they had me come out and preach. And they had a question and answer service before that. And then, um, then I preached on a Sunday. So Saturday and Sunday, I came and had a little get-together here at church. I had to answer questions, especially about my oldest. Alexandra, because she's a year older than we've been married. So they needed that answer. So they had a problem with the pastor before, but they vetted well, and then they knew that he was divorced, but they went ahead and called him as a pastor anyway. So after that, they looked for everything, anything under the sun, mm. you know. So besides all that, you know, uh, I came and they asked me to check share about what happened with Alex. And so I said, well, I met Trish when um, she and I were younger. Of course, this was, you know, in our 20s, and she had already had Alex. We'd never been married before. And um, she had Alex, and um, I met them when Alex was about nine months old. And then shared the story about, you know, we started dating when Alex turned one. And then um, we got engaged after that, six months later, in February the 7th, 1994, and then um, we were married in uh, May of 1995. Um, when I came to know the Lord, I was probably about 18. I was going to church. I grew up Pentecostal and felt the Lord wanted me to go forward in a service, but I was like, yeah, no, that, that, that's not going to happen. <laughs> but I knew the truth, and, um, you know, the Lord worked on me until my mid-20s. And then in 92, it, it just, my life got real quiet. Um, you know, I didn't go out as much. I didn't smoke anymore. Uh, I finished all the, the drug issues and stuff like that prior to that. And so I was the only thing I was in was in a relationship with a, with a young lady, and I needed to get out of that if I was going to come to the Lord. So I called the pastor at First Baptist uh, Laurel, not Savage, but First Baptist Laurel, Talked to him for about an hour. I usually don't get that from a pastor because usually they're out doing other things. And he said, well, if you feel like the God's calling you to ministry, you're going to have to have a relationship with him first before that starts. That's the first thing. And so I started going to church uh, in 93, in February, and I gave my life to Christ. You know, I, you know, I, I didn't feel like I had pressured or anything. I just knew the truth, and I knew where to find the truth. I had already looked for the truth in other places, other religions, other avenues mm-hmm. that the world has to offer. And I realized, wait a minute, the truth is here. Why am I going somewhere else? So when I, you know, the Lord was there drawing me to himself. So I went forward because that's what they asked for in, in the church. Said, yeah, I want to give my life to Christ. And then uh, in March of that year, I was baptized. And the Lord did guided me and directed me ever since uh you know not that i have not tried to take the keys back from him but uh usually that end doesn't end very well and i have to give them back anyway so uh, did you grow up in the laurel area no uh yeah 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 i did so um you know just thinking of the church we went to was in Wheaton. sorry 
Okay. So I've been in Laurel since 1972. I was born in um, Washington, D.C., so I'm not American citizen, some people say. <laughs> I've never and thought now, about that. I was born in D.C. Yeah, too. I never thought I about that. Columbia Hospital for Women. So, um, so it was funny because well, we did we did a bunch of different things growing up. I don't know, uh, like the Merle Haggard song. I was the only hell that my mother ever raised. But uh, the uh, my my brother and I, oh my gosh, two peas in a pod, pretty much to cause and havoc. And at Sunday school, we would triangulate the room with my cousin, who was like three months younger than I was. That would make my grandfather have to come out and sit between us because he was the Sunday school superintendent. So when I when I came to know the Lord, uh, all the people that I knew in the junior church, the ladies that were there were were happy about that. But then later on, when I became a pastor, they were like, "You became a pastor? You became?" And I was like, "Yeah." <laughs> So you never know, right? <laughs> Some long-haired freaky kid might become fast. True. And um, the Lord uh, has worked in my life, you know, and, it, it, you know, I don't, the things that I did, I just realized I was a sinner and I needed, I needed something to do with that. I can't, I couldn't, I couldn't fix it, right? Uh, if you've ever watched one of our favorite movies, except for that one scene where they say the F word, so we watch it on TV, you'll get it. It's Tombstone. Kurt Russell, Val Kilmer, Sam mm-hmm. McClitt, Bill Paxton, and uh, Delana, or something Delaney, I think I can think of her first name. And so in the movie, when um, Kurt Russell asked Doc Holliday, could he beat a person like Johnny Ringo? And Doc Holliday's sick on the bed. And he said, no, you can't. He said, what does he need? He, just, he needs revenge. And he said, why? He said, because he has a hole deep down in the middle of it. No amount of killing or stealing or inflicting pain on others can fill it. And he said, why does he want revenge? And he said, because he was born. And I said, wow, isn't that interesting that the writers put the gospel right in the middle of that movie? Right? Because we all have that hole. No amount of killing or stealing or pain that you can inflict on yourself or others will fill it. Except Christ. Yeah. So I uh you know, I chased it all. Women, drugs, alcohol, you know, religions, Shinto, Hindu, Confucianism, Taoism, Taoism, I you know, all those isms, you know. The only thing I didn't do was Muslim, but I kept reading about it. It just didn't invite me in. So, with uh, anything, really, it didn't invite me in with knowledge. It didn't invite me in with forgiveness. It didn't invite me in with uh, love. You know, like the other ones, they have a higher consciousness and, and right. um, stuff like that. But the, you know, I knew it, and um, where the truth was found, I just just ignored for a while. And so, if you've ever followed the writer Ray Bradbury. Mm-hmm. science fiction writer he has a, a short story called the telephone and it's a it's a short where this guy moves into this apartment and um, he moves in and everything's going fine for a while and all of a sudden at night after he's been there a couple of months ago the telephone starts ringing in the apartment next door and it just kept ringing and ringing and ringing and drove him mad really and so what happened was that the super would come several times and other folks would say, the apartment's empty. There's no phone in. 
And the Lord was the, that's the way the Lord drew me to himself. You know, no matter what I could do to try to do the physical things in my life to get my life in good position, it wasn't happening until I went to Christ. So the Lord blessed me. Go ahead, Jerry. I'm curious, what was the what was the transition for you like going from Pentecostalism to becoming a Baptist, going to... Uh, that was real easy, actually, because I understood some of the theology, but not all of it. And uh, the actual transition was location. Okay. We had to drive 35 minutes to the Pentecostal church that we grew up in when I could just walk out my apartment door, walk around the building, and boom, I'm in the church park. <laughs> I mean, there's no big theological significance, you know, but, uh, you know, and that's the thing for a lot of folks I, I talk to, you know, young folks, especially, so you don't need a dramatic presentation. You don't need to have done drugs or fooled around before you got married or anything. You just need to realize that, hey, you need Christ. I'm a sinner. I, I, I'm, a, I'm a person who's destined for destruction. I need grace. I need someone to save me. That's you know, the big, that's the big drama. That's the big turnaround. You know, I remember this one guy at, at the church camp that John was telling me that he told him, that's his, that's my son's testimony, my youngest son, John, who's now a Presbyterian. He, he said the guy, the camp counselor said, you don't have a testimony. John said, I'm a sinner who needs grace. Isn't that enough? And I told him when he told me, I said, yeah, that's plenty, son. That's what it's all about, really. Not everyone's going to have that dramatic testimony. But that is, you know, exactly what, you know, we are to admit to others, hey, I was foolish. I was serving myself. I needed Christ. I could see in his law that, hey, I need someone. You know, the Lord's blessed me. The Lord's been good to me. You know, I followed him. But, I mean, the path isn't always easy, and I tell people that. I mean, you know, the it's okay to have the bumps and bruises. It's okay to to go through the rough spots. I mean, if you think about Proverbs five and six, uh, uh, three, sorry, five and six, trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not on your own understanding and in all your ways acknowledge Him, and He will make your path straight. It doesn't mean that your paths won't have difficulties, but the path that He's making straight is not a physical path; it's the path home to heaven, mm. path home to Him in a relationship. That's the path that he's making straight. And I often tell people when it comes to the straightness, we often think of it as a straight line as opposed to level. Um, and I tell people, right, I, was like, I, I was like, I, I don't believe he's saying that there won't be any ups and downs. I think he's saying that he's removing all the rocks so that your foot is sure as you follow him. That, that is level. It is not a smooth ride. Right, not that kind of easy going. I'm not saying you've got super Christian shocks, so you don't have any problems. If anything, you're now <clears throat> truly warring against Satan, your old master, and things spark up, whether it be in the church, right. in your marriage, and wherever, in your own life, in your health. But you realize even more you need to trust him. And it isn't about, um, I need to do a lot of things, and this is how we got started, it really is about the work that Christ has done. So whether it's I need to do a whole bunch of wickedness or I need to do a whole bunch of things to earn my salvation, both of those things are wrong. Um, what I need to do is confess 
repent and ask for forgiveness from the only one who can forgive me. I think the most important thing is what you said that time you went down to North Carolina. I think you were doing a wedding or a funeral, and it was during the comet. And you got on the elevator, and all those folks were all excited. Yeah, 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 I'm so happy, man. Have you seen the comet, man? It's so good, man. I really enjoyed it, you know, and it's one of the greatest things in history. And you just turned and looked at them and said, no, it's really not. I'm most impressed with is the fact that God is still talking to a sinner like me. Mm. Is that not the crux of it all? I mean, come on now. I mean, God doesn't need us. And God wants us. He wants to have a relationship with us. And, you know, you see that in the Bible. I mean, it's funny how people don't realize that, you know, especially in John 15, 16, Jesus says, I call you. You can call me because I'd have been waiting on the phone for a long time. Okay, well, help me understand this then. How, what do you think hindered you from embracing that relationship earlier? I believe that I was the captain of my own ship and um, that life would have been dull without, with me not in control. And so what I realized was that wasn't the case. That actually my life was better because I realized that, you know, the truth of, you know, of the grace and forgiveness and the love that God has and destruction and hell, excuse me, if we don't, love the Lord. We don't follow after him. And so that really just kind of hit home for me. And then, you know, just realizing that this is a much better, a much better relationship than I had with whatever I was doing at the time with all the other things and other religion. Were there any, were there any individuals in your life who were strong or continuing to journey with Christ while oh, you my were? Grandparents. Yeah, they were they were a major influence on me. And so um, my grandmother passed away in 2015. And it was funny because uh, when she passed, she had a blockage in her colon. And so they went in to do it arthroscopically, um, you know, through with the tube. And um, it ruptured while they were in there. So they had to cut it open. And um, so this is Christmas Eve. She actually died on Christmas Day, but they pronounced her dad on the 27th because that's when they turned the machine. So um, before she died, she was in the recovery room. She never made it to ICU. The recovery room is the same thing as ICU, especially with that kind of surgery. And she told two people that came in to visit her, my grandfather, whom she's been married to for 73 years, and this lady who was my grandfather's guardian when uh, he went on an honor flight. My grandfather was a World War II vet. Or was a woman. He received the Bronze Star for Valor on the Battle of Saipan. That's the night he came to know the Lord in the midst of that battle. And he asked the Lord not to save his life or make a deal with him. All he did was, Lord, I need you to save my soul. And in that process of that night, the Lord actually felt the Lord tell him to move his uh, mortar cannon up to about 95 degree angle. Mm -hmm. And he um, did that, and that's what changed the battle in, um, in Saipan. They were, the, the shells just broke over the front line. And he said, I could have killed as many Americans as I did the Japanese, but, um, or I should say the enemy. And he, um, he said, yeah, then that night uh, a fellow soldier reached over to him, his name was Tom, 
And he said, Bill, my grandfather's first name was William. He said, Bill, I just want you to know, in case I don't, we don't make it, that it's been a pleasure serving with you. That's how much fighting they were dealing with. There were 21 in their unit, and there were seven left in the morning. Wow. So I just told Papa, I said, you know, that's a physical reminder of the spiritual encounter that you had with Christ on there. And so he said, yeah, he knew that, and he always told that. And it was funny because he hardly ever talked about um, his time in war, but when uh, the first time he did it with Alex when she was in fourth grade, and it came to be the whole entire group, and then later on he did it to 5,000 um, 5, folks at one time. And so that's what I told the church in the eulogy. I said, look, I thought that all this time that the Lord at the my grandfather had given us the physical skill. You see, I, I, I can, I can, I can, re, I can read a ruler before I could read and write. I can cut, you know, I can build my own house if I need to. I can remodel. That's all I did as a kid growing up with my grandfather. Mm-hmm. And then when we, he thought he was going to die in January of eighteen, uh, yeah, two thousand eighteen, before he was going to. Uh, he didn't. He lived a whole month, and he, he lived after his 95th birthday, and then he died at the end of the month. And so when I gave the eulogy, I used Second Timothy, um, what is it, 6? No, it's not 6, is it? I think it's the, it's the last chapter, but Timothy 4, I think, of 6 and 8, where it talks about I have won the race, I have I've finished the race, I have won, you know, I've kept the faith. And when in that process, when I was praying about it, the Lord came to me and said, you know, pressed upon me, he didn't speak audibly unless I read his word out loud, just saying that. And so he impressed upon me that, no, the grandparents didn't give you. The grandparents gave you the gospel. They gave you the gospel always. And what they did, what they said, how they interacted with other folk, they never met a stranger. Mm. They were part of the Columbia Walkers when it first started at the Columbia Mall in the 80s. They walked around there. They met so many people, influenced so many people. They, you know, and that's what they did. And that's what I shared with my cousins. I said, you've got the gospel. We all have received the gospel in the way they loved us, the way they treated us, the way they served the Lord. My grandparents, you know, she was a seamstress. All the extra money she made on the side with doing, um, doing dresses and suits and all that. She um, gave it to the Lord, all of it. They lived off that. They had missionaries and pastors over on Sunday after church for dinner or for lunch, or the Southerners call supper. So I got to benefit from all that. And so, you know, in, in 1992, when I came to know the Lord, come, or I gave my life to the Lord in 93 that year, their 50th wedding anniversary was in August of that. 92. That had a big impact. I saw all these people that I grew up with were living all over the place in the country. Called on the phone, sent pictures, sent videos. That's the age of VHS, if y'all remember. Yep. And they were all saying how much my grandparents meant to them, how much they did for them. You know, they started churches, they built churches the old school way. You put the brick and mortar or the block and mortar in the start of the building of the church, and then you would build a sanctuary in the upper part of the church on top of it while you worship in the lower part. That's where all those screens come from in most of those real old churches because that's what they did. They opened up all that for church, and then they closed them off for Sunday school. 
And then they built the sanctuary and the offices and other things on top. And um, the following um, December, I, I was like, yeah, I, I got to do something, but I couldn't do anything because I was trying to do all those things. And that's when I came to know the Lord and realized, wait a minute, I know where the truth is. I got to go back to the truth. And it, it, the, as my life got quieter and quieter, that phone got louder and louder, or the Lord got louder. And um, I just had to answer it. So what took you to Southern and uh, what did you, what did you, uh, what degree did you pursue there? So at Southern, my undergrad is um, biblical studies, mm-hmm. biblical and theological studies. And my uh, grad, graduate degree is, I'm pursuing is in biblical, in, uh, biblical counseling. Okay. And so what took me to Southern is I, I, I got three different catalogs and I prayed for the southeastern, southwestern in Texas, southeastern in North Carolina, and south um, southern. And so you have to know the story. I'm a doctrines of grace guy. I believe in that. I believe in the five colors. I got uh, the man that I, I I was getting the that was getting the Reformation stuff uh, when we started talking just after we hit record. Yeah. So um, uh, the the three men that uh, built the forms around my life so that the rebar and the concrete could be poured in a seminary where they took me to conferences that were done by James Montgomery Boyce, mm-hmm. R.C. Sproul, Alistair mm-hmm. Begg. Um, It'll build so it in. Went, what's that? That'll build it in. Yeah. So uh, I had, was fortunate to see him live and um, go to the conferences with James Montgomery Boyce before he passed. So that was nice to be able to do that. And um, got to go to 10th Presbyterian Church. I went to two different conferences. One was the Theology of the Cross, and the other one was the Children of God, or the City mm-hmm. of God, sorry, by um, Augustine. Mm-hmm. So um, I, uh, so they built the forms. And then when I went to seminary, they put the rebar in and poured the concrete. And um, we got to, uh, to view... Um, the president of the seminary, close, close hand. My, my wife worked in his office. And, um, okay, he's the real deal. Was Moeller the president at the yes, time? Yes, he's still. Yes, that's correct. Mm-hmm. My wife awesome. worked for him for about four and a half years. And what what a godly man! I mean, he lives, breathes. Like you know, the the one that Spurgeon said about uh, John Bunyan. He cut him. He, he bleeds biblically. <laughs> yeah. Dr. Muller is that way, and he's he, so in his element when he's there because he loved for young people to come to know Christ sooner than later and to see that blossom and work in their lives as young folks and how much better that is than what the world has to offer. Hmm. So, uh, yeah, we went there, and then I had a, a guy at our church who was a deacon. I, he always gave me what for because of my doctrines and priests. The theology and so he, he always give me a hard time about it and say you believe everything dr moeller said and i really should have quit back and says do you believe everything that such and such said but i didn't i just kept my mouth shut that part usually that's a kind of unusual for me though and then i said to him no i about a 95 percent, but i don't agree on everything i don't think anyone agrees with everyone 100 percent. i should have said do you Agree with your wife 100%? Because I know his wife well. And oh, I, know. No. 
So I was very, uh, very um, respect my elders. And he also did the same thing to me at ordination. He messed with me at ordination like that. And I just, he said, well, because uh, I, I believe when you're ordained, and a lot of Baptists don't do this. Some do, but a lot do. I believe you should give um, your theological survey to those folks that are going to ordain you. Mm. I think that that's important to know where you stand on documentation. And a lot of people don't do that. They just that's how my ordination was. Yeah, so that's what I, I had to do. And so my mentor, uh, Pastor Ephraim, uh, he's the associate uh, Pastor Emeritus at First Baptist Laurel. He was also a Doctor of Grace guy. He went to Viola and uh, Talbot. Uh, that's where he graduated from. He actually, it's funny because he, he actually went to uh, the seminary where Martin Luther King Jr. went. And he said he got thrown out because he was too conservative. <laughs> I was like, whoa, that's something. That's something. He, uh, he, he, he was the one who mentored me after our pastor left, and then um, uh, he got it and directed me, and, he, and uh, my family knows him well. Actually, my oldest daughter is like a second daughter to their family, so um, yeah. So I learned a lot from him, you know, learning about how, um, you know, all of life can be, you can see the God's word and you can see God's love and you can see God's direction in all of history. That's so important for us to, you know, because uh, as Alistair Begg said a few years ago, there's a video thing called Christian, Christianity is not, is a, is, a, is, a, is a religion of knowing, not feeling. Mm. And he said he was off and he went to, uh, to a church, you know, and they had to count down and all that. He said, no, that's fine. You know, I don't mind all that. It's not what we do, but, you know, I don't mind. And the first thing the worship director comes out and says, how do y'all feel? <laughs> and and the, the, the Pastor Big uh, said, what do you mean how I feel? I feel awful this morning. I had a knockdown drag out fight with my wife. I came downstairs <laughs> and kissed the dog. I kicked the dog. And I don't even have a dog. And I drove 50 miles an hour, 25 miles an hour to get here. So I'm pretty, you know, ticked off this morning. And he said, yeah, you know, you need to feel right in order to worship right. And he said, no. He said, I want you to tell me that my, how my, my sins are forgiven. I want to know about the grace and the power of the Lord Jesus Christ and what he did, because that's what it is, knowing mm -hmm. those things, teaching those things. And um, he just, it was rather funny and comical. You can look it up and see it. It's, very, it's about a five-minute video. It's very funny. But, I mean, I, you know, I know a lot of people don't, get that and that's not my thing you know i try not to pay attention to myself there are times when anecdotally i'll, I'll point to myself but i like to use the bible to interpret the bible. i don't i don't want it looking at me i'm the billboard right i'm the gray nasty train that goes around the outside that you know has the beautiful picture of the valencia hotel on. actually it's jesus christ that's from my childhood because if you know us one well you'll know that the billboards on us one <laughs> as you came in the laurel going north the valencia hotel Yes. The billboard around it was nasty, but the, the beautiful uh, picture on the front, the Valencia Hotel, you know, up on the left-hand side about mm -hmm. five miles up. That's what, you know, so my nickname, I used to play uh, 
the games. I still play online console games. My son has a few games that I play. And I use my username has always been Gospel Crier. I feel that that's what my job is as a herald. I'm a herald for the king. I come out and say, hear ye, hear ye, hear ye, all ye people of the land. This is the king's proclamation. And that's my job to do that, to make that known wherever I go, to make the unknown known, like Paul would say in Acts 17. That's that's what I am. I've, I've never swayed from that since I came to know the Lord. I mean, within weeks, I was sharing the gospel with folks and then just fine-tune that from, from there because I worked at the University of Maryland College Park. It was like being thrown out into, you know, first century um, uh, Christianity without being persecuted, uh, without the, you know, being the, the deadly persecution. I mean, right, I would minus the lions. A, a lot of things, even the the guys I work with, because see, they knew me. They saw me transition from Big Al to Just Al to Reverend Al. That was a derogatory statement for referring to Sharpton, and then later on, a term of endearment. And so they'll call me or I'll text them now and they'll say, hey, Reverend, how's it going? You know, and I, I um, you know, they saw me. I, I did the things that you're supposed to do. Even as a fellow co-worker, when their parents died, I went to the funeral. When they were in the hospital, I went to the hospital. You know, I wasn't afraid because the, I know where the gospel takes me. I know where my home is going to be. And, you know, my time will come one day or could come, you know, in a couple of hours. I don't know. But, um, you know, like Paul, that's why Paul could do what he did. You know, and people say he's extraordinary and I said, no, he's an ordinary guy doing extraordinary things through the power of the Holy Spirit and just leaves his life in the hands of the Holy Spirit in doing it. Why else would, when you get arrested, would you be singing hymns with Silas and walking into a jail and praising the Lord and saying, you know, most of us as Christians in the 21st century are going, why me, Lord? Why did you have to lock me up? I didn't do anything wrong. I just preached your word. I mean, I'm doing what I'm supposed to, right? And, you know, I think, why not me? You say that, you say that, and that, you know, one of the things that growing up in the church I knew was, uh, was wrong was the, the whole prosperity gospel idea. But it took a long time for me to realize that there were specific things in the, both in the church and in the way that I was thought about God that had a complete prosperity gospel uh, through line to them. If I read my Bible and pray every day, if I preach the gospel, then God's going to bring me a beautiful wife and a good job and a satisfying marriage and kids who don't disobey. And that's, where did you get that? Because I haven't gotten it. <laughs> well, I haven't gotten it yet. That may have I mean, been what brought me up short. Yeah, I know, because I, I think that's absolutely, you know, people do. I've done everything I'm supposed to do. I should get mm-hmm. my just rewards, and then, you know, that's not grace. That's it's merit-based living, yep. yeah. Completely. And so I love the the video that John Piper put out a few years ago about the prosperity gospel. You think that, you know, you'll get you'll get a BMW because you follow Jesus, or, and, you know, your wife won't miscarriage, and your teeth won't miscarriage, you know, and you go, well, I want that. Sure, everybody wants that. Everybody wants Santa Claus. And then you, you know, look at your sins like this. You know, we I say we 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 love the promises. You know, we love the good part, but we don't want the the other promises of the covenant because God says if you don't do these things, these are what happens. This is what happens. 
right? I mean, they're both promises, right? The covenant says yes. if, you, if you do well, you'll be blessed, but if you do wrong, you'll you'll be um, disciplined and eventually, you know, <laughs> left out of the covenant. I think it was Bonhoeffer that said that when when God calls a man, He bids him come and die. Uh, that that's not one that we uh, preach to. Uh, I like. Uh, I know Zins, Count Zinzendorf, Nicholas Zinzendorf, with part of the pious movement. Piety, I don't, I don't, I don't really have any problem with mystics. I got a problem, especially in Christian religion. And um, I said, you guys, it's more or less like the Easter religion, the chanting. It's the, you know, the om and the emptying of yourself. No, God says, fill your mind with my word. And so um, Zinzendorf said, yeah, I've come to preach the gospel, die, and be forgotten. <laughs> That's what um, Jake Gresham Machen did when he died. He said, I don't want any eulogies. I don't want anything saying about me. I just want the words of God read and the words of God's son. And that's it. Mm. Mm. That's what, I mean, we're just faithful servants. I mean, you guys are, and I are waterers or planters. You know, we don't always get to reap um, what we sow in, in that regard. You know, Abraham didn't get to see all the, the beautiful little babies being born. He, he only got to see Isaac and Jacob. Yeah. You know, and God said he was going to be as many as the stars in heaven or the sands on the shore. I mean, that takes faith to trust that in the promise. Yeah, yeah it does. Yeah, it That's does. why I love Paul when he succinctly puts that together. Romans, before the circumcision, before the law, mm-hmm. it was always about faith. Mm-hmm. It never was. I mean, you know, I could see where people get mixed up because the law is easy. Well, it's not easy to, to maintain, but it's easier in the brain because I get to check boxes that way. Yep. I check those boxes, at least figuratively in my mind, I'm, I'm good. I'm not smoking. I'm not drinking. I'm not going out dancing. Baptist, you know, believe. I'm good. <laughs> like I hear, I, I mean, I don't want to pour out my entire soul here, but like when I go to church, you know, when I ask people with prayer time, Got any prayer? Christians say this. No, I'm good. Really? You don't need to share the whole. Every, I mean, if you got an unspoken, give us an unspoken. You know, you don't have to mention Something. it. Something. I mean, every Christian I know has issues. I know this because I am one. <laughs> and, I mean, that's what I say in church when I preach. I said, uh, you know, you ever have trouble with um, pride? And you get all these like, <laughs> oh, I must be the only one then. Let me raise my hand for every, you know, just for myself. Let's just say but hypothetically, was, this happened well, to you once. Maybe well, once there was an issue that you felt pride over. I, right. I can't say that some of it also was church culture as well, where right. um, there are certain cultures that are more open to being vulnerable. This ain't um, one of them. But but it, that was exactly most in our culture where the goal is to get ahead and to be rewarded for uh, silence, pretty much. Um, that is a model brought into the church where I'd rather not share um, with a with a background of even if you do share, I still don't feel close enough to share. Mm-hmm. Um, like the, it, there isn't a space where. You would like to say, oh, I can share, so therefore you can share. Now, I've made the space for you to share, but the reality is you didn't come for that. You came for something else. You came for a transaction and not relationship. So this 
isn't what you're here for. Um, you're not here to be vulnerable. You're here to check that box. Right. I, did I come and worship God this week? Yes. Yeah. By his definition, no. But by mine, I did. Right? I made it into the building. I joined on Zoom. I did whatever I was supposed to do. I gave my monies, even though it really is his. I didn't it's give always, I, mean, I didn't give hands. I didn't give him my head. I just gave him a tip. And um, that, by my definition, is enough. Um, not by God's, but by mine. Um, and the thing is, God, the, he's already got it all written down. They yeah. were all written for me. All the days I was going to live, you already had them written in your book. It's not like God doesn't have that baby book that he can't pull out and say, oh, I remember Jeremy. I remember Dave. I remember Alan. They did this thing. It wasn't so cute. He doesn't, it, that book is not there so that he can recall and relive these good feelings. That book is there because he is keeping track. But what he's after is how we are walking through each of our days, mm -hmm. whether we're trying to keep that book for him or trying just to have him. Yeah, you said it earlier, uh, as far as, am I willing to give up control? You thought, I know better, you know, whether, again, prior to Christ, I know better. I know that it's going to be boring. It looks sad. <laughs> I know better. Um, and that that is the thing that I think that holds most people, especially in our culture, where we highlight and celebrate and rejoice around um, information and um, applaud uh, academics to the point where we miss relationship and engagement. Um, and I, you know, that's part of why I asked, you know, as far as your grandparents and there was a relationship there. They poured into you, even though you didn't know what was going on, even when you were struggling, even though you knew better, there was relationship. And I think for the new believer, as well as a seasoned believer, there's a, a note there that we need to live out of being consistent in our faith, as well as recognizing that our faith does impact others. Not that our faith is going to save them, but it does attract them to Christ, the billboard. It does help them see the reality of their need by us following appropriately and living out grace and love and um, peace uh, based off of God's definition. Right. I know we've, we've been talking for a minute. I don't want to tear all your time. I do want to give you space to tell people how they can get in touch with you if they want to follow you or hear your voice again. Well, I don't know if they want to see that. It's ugly mind. Um, but yeah, um, one of the things I was realizing too is that um, it's the Mendisa song, God's going to make you stronger, right? Mm -hmm. Stronger. Stronger. And we always hear this a lot with whatever doesn't kill me will make me strong. Mm -hmm. You know, that's a Nietzsche slogan. Let's see, I haven't seen it in the Bible. <laughs> you know what I see? I see that when we become stronger in the Lord, that's that we rely on him more. We have more dependence that's right. on God than we do. Like people say to me all the time, you know, the Lord helps those that help themselves. I was like, what? What Bible are you reading? I said, the Bible that we should be reading is the one that says, God gives grace to the humble. Come on God helps those who can know. help themselves. Mm -hmm. Cast all your cares on him. Yep. yep. That's where, That's why I was trying to tell the, the folks when you talk about humility, when you go to 1 Peter 5, 6 and 7, submit yourselves under the mighty hand of God and cast your anxieties on him. 
because he cares for you, right? That's true humility, where you can just say, here, Lord, you take it, and then not take it back. Mm-hmm. That's when you know you can trust. That's the, that's the trust. That's the forgiveness. That's the uh, weakness. I mean, we need to admit that. Paul says, hey, when I, when I mention that, you know, when I celebrate that, I'm strong. I'm strong in the Lord because it's the Lord that's doing it. That's why he could do all those things. Mm. There it is. It wasn't, wasn't his ability. I mean, God gave him that, though, right? Right. So you can find me at First Baptist Savage in Savage, Maryland, at fbcssavage.org. And our services are at 1030 in the morning. Our Sunday school is at 915. Over YouTube. Um, if you click on our website, you will find our link to the YouTube channel on the main page of our website. Go to where it says Listen Live, and you'll go right to that, and then you'll go right to our YouTube channel. Okay. That's fantastic. Okay. Thank um, you so much for joining us today. Uh, it's, been a, it's been a privilege meeting you. Awesome. My pleasure, Jeremy. Thank you so much. I'm glad somebody else is trying to keep Dave. Oh, he has two... He has two friends, you know. Oh. <laughs> We're keeping track. Wow. Wow. I think it's well, time to end this If you would like to know. be my friend, you can reach us at anchor.com. <laughs> you know <laughs> and now I'm about to mute them both. Um, <laughs> now I have another friend. <laughs> oh, All I need is two people talking to one another. 